DCM works. We can all throw a spiral. Hey, Ben. Yes. Are you tired of being naked? Partially. Like, but would you say that you are tired of having your top half bare constantly? Oh, yes, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, thank God for... Oh, we've got... Fuck! Thank God we sell t-shirts. Wow. Like, do you know where you can find them, Ben? I'll Not tell, a fucking clue. Because I'll tell you, it's redbubble.com slash people slash DCMworks, and you can even have the logo of your imaginary character from Dungeons & Dragons wow, that on is your a, t-shirt. that is a long URL. Where can I go to click it instead of typing it in? Because I'm lazy. Funny... Thank God you asked, Ben. You could look in the show notes. Wow. Of this episode. Was this scripted? Oh my God. <laughs> ben, why you sh- What? That's crazy. This is a totally natural conversation that we had in front of microphones for no reason. Yes. Good. Go buy t-shirts. Buy our t-shirts. Good. So this week, I want to give a big shout out to Patreon Brendan A. McQuaid, uh, who's a new Patreon, but a longtime supporter of all of my content. Hooray. You're a fucking champ, buddy. Let's, let's grab a pint sometime. Except you live in America, so that'd be tough. <laughs> Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Alpharadas Podcast, the official podcast of DCM Works. As always, I'm David, creative director, lead writer of DCM Works. Literally, joined, as always. Joined as always, Mark, as no, always. my co host Ben. Yep. Always this. <laughs> always this. Um, today's topic is world building. Because I got a few questions about it, but before that, we're actually a- going back to a real topic. I know it's been a while. What a bit before that, Ben? What are we listening to? <sighs> My microphone is too far away again. You. What are we listening to? You bastard! You bought me Fallout Four. I know. How well, good? Yesterday, two days ago. Oh, I don't know. Like sometime after Christmas. Have days just after- become like days of <laughs> a haze for you? Like I don't know. After when. I bought you Gary Day One Incident. Mm. Well, well, Gary, the- <laughs> what is it? Gary's uh, in- day one. Day yeah. one Gary's incident. So, to, to explain the tradition that we have, basically every year, Ben and I try and buy each other the cheapest game possible. The cheapest, worst game if possible. Not, if not, give someone something you already have that came free with something else. Yeah, so there's this, like, there was this copy of Armor 3 Lite that I think is still stuck in your inventory. Yeah, I've now got four of them. <laughs> because, for some reason, you can't get rid of them. Mm. I think I also gave you... Some literally unnamed item. It's like unknown package three twelve. Yeah. I a don't remember what it is either. And I tried to reject it. So what what happened was it came in. I went, Ben has sent your gift. Unknown package. Blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> and I went, yeah. I went decline. And it went, it went added to gift inventory. I was like, no 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 no. Then no, I, I don't want it. <laughs> I tried to send it back to you. It was like cannot send <laughs> this item as it is expired. I'm like, so well, why is sucked. it here? Yeah. And so oh, then bullshit. after, so that's usually what happens. And then out of literally nowhere. I get a pop up that says, David has sent you Fallout oh, 4. That's right. I lose my shit. Yeah. Because um, over here, that costs like 100 Australian. So on many Steam. Benjamins. It's, it's a lot. So, to explain my history with buying Fallout 4, I've now bought three copies. <laughs> <laughs> so, I bought my copy. I sponsored the Colby House walkthrough. So, I bought him his copy for his channel. And I bought you a copy. I've nearly got 100 hours and I've bought three copies. I, I have mm. about like 15 hours so mm. far. Which is surprising with like three days. 
Three yeah, this isn't like much, but I guess you've been busy. Yeah. Um, it's also the holidays. But that's pretty much all I've been doing. Yeah. Like, I had plans. I had projects oh, I was sorry. working on. Yeah. And you ruined them. That, <laughs> that was my goal the whole time. Oh, man. Um, so I've been listening to Wax, who's a really interesting hip-hop artist. He's, he's not very new, but he's been around for a while. He's pretty good. Um, I've been marathoning Parks and Rec. <laughs> Just because I, I never watched it like uh, start to finish, I've just seen odd the odd episode here and there. Yeah. So I'm up to season six out of six. Oh Jesus. Um. So that's good. Uh. I've been rereading The Shining by Stephen King. Yeah. Uh. And I've also been rereading The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, which I think I mentioned last week. I'm not sure. Um. But that's anything else you've been listening to? Just Flyfall. Just Flyfall. Yeah. Good. It's been a long. Um, so the reason that we kind of ended up doing this world building episode is I was going through some old emails. Um. Looking yeah. for some topics and stuff people were suggesting. Trying and to figure out what we're going to do this week. Yeah, because it's kind of that lull after... Like, nothing's really coming Post out. Post-Christmas, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, oh, nothing's so, really happening. Before we move on from what we've been listening to, I saw Star Wars again. I was going to see it again, but then... It's still good. Still good? Yeah. I had a friend who say it, went it see it, and he was kind of disappointed. But he hasn't seen the original trilogy. Which is interesting. Because when I, I was like, it's basically episode four. He's like, mm. oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, like, mm, yeah, it's probably See, why. My mum walked out of it. She's never seen Star Wars. Just, I think she's seen one of them. She, I think she's seen the Phantom well, Menace. Like, yeah, and she walked out. She was like, "No, that was that was good. It was fun." Yeah, I mean, it's a fun like f- like my friend agreed. Yeah, it's a fun yeah. movie. Um, yeah, good. So yeah, uh, that's what we've been listening to. Um, so I got a few. I got two emails specifically, but then a few kind of bits and pieces that people had sent me um, through either the YouTube or, or through the Patreon stuff. But the first question was from Ollie, uh, who emails us from California, Ooh. and he says, uh, what do you guys think of the world building in the Hobbit trilogy? So this was on the back of, I think I dropped, I, f- I think I shit-talked to the Hobbit trilogy <laughs> at some point on an offhanded comment. Ugh. This is in response to that. Um, what do you guys think of the Hobbit trilogy? Just watch the extended editions, and I think that the reason they weren't as good as the Lord of the Rings, aside from too much CG, is that yeah. the world feels kind of flat at times. And a lot of the world building is super ham-fisted. And he's put, um, see, like, town politics. Which is a good point. So, to explain a little bit of what he's talking about. I haven't seen get... the last you don't Hobbit. need to. I've only seen the first um, one. Yeah, so in the second Hobbit um, film, they spend a lot of that film on the politics of Lake Town. And, like, mm. the taxation of fish and stuff. And it's kind of rings of the prequels... Yeah. Trade oh yeah stuff yeah that's yeah. that's literally a prequel trilogy yeah the so same like, problem there too much like politics. It, it, it works if it's in the background but not if it becomes half of the screen time of the film yeah because no one like a movie could try to explain the politics of like a like a world but it's like you can have someone explain real life politics to you and you'll still be kind of confused yeah like it's not easy in, instead of that what so, I guess in response to that, I guess I agree with him to an extent, but what I would say is, if... So, he's basically asked, what do we think of the world building? I think it's good in The Hobbit, but as as he said, like, it... it... There's, like, different types of world building. Yeah. There's, like... I, th- I think specifically for The Hobbit, though, what they tried to do is they're trying to flesh out, like... I think that they're doing a lot of geography world building, as opposed to the original Lord of the Rings, which were doing, like, history and... and like, armies everything yeah. yeah like like history of peoples and cultures yeah. and stuff whereas you know the hobbit had a bit of the dwarf stuff but less less of the hobbit stuff actually um and a surprising more, little amount of hobbit stuff given the name and honestly a shockingly <laughs> small amount of um of dwarf as well which was weird you yeah. never really got a sense for their culture they were just a bunch of guys um yeah yeah which is kind of weird 
Because they're the only like the only ones left. The, the, yeah. Well, the only ones that aren't. Well, kind of. It's weird. Sort of in hiding. But then, uh, yeah, they're that, like the, the last like patriotic ones. I the, guess. F- the fact that we don't know off the top of our heads means that they failed yeah. us at some point <laughs> to help us understand. But yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Like it, it, the world does feel flat. But I think that's because they try and explain instead of they try and Shall tell we? instead of show. Yeah. Um, and then the second question I got that was sort of what really. Uh, led me toward this, is from Ashley via Patreon. Um, and this was asked around the Mad Max episode. Um, oh, good. Date. So this yeah. is just one that I, I forgot to get to. Um, uh, she, I tried to fill in the blanks of the typing, but just bear <laughs> with. Um, so when you all are talking about Mad Max, it got me thinking about the world building. So the, yeah, for, for clarification, this is not verbatim. I've added okay. bits in between because she typed it in quite a hurry. Um, although all of our questions seem to be in a hurry, I feel like you guys are like, I have a question, be, I just gotta get it out. It could just be phone texting. Oh my god. I just got a new phone, and Tapping I have a mess type typing yeah. on it. Like, yeah, I, th- I threw my phone across the kitchen on news, on Christmas Eve. Oh yeah, that was funny. Um, so I didn't have a phone for like three or four days, because I couldn't go get it repaired because nothing was open. Yeah. Um, and then I went to go get it repaired, and the guy was like, no, we can't fix this, like, it's <laughs> fucked. So then yeah. I ordered a new phone, and it came the next day. Mm. I was like, wow, Australia. this is the future. Yeah. For the first time, Australia Post yeah. has worked because no one's ordered anything because it's after Christmas. True, but um, yeah. So, um, uh, when you all talk about the Mad Max game, uh, it got me thinking about the world building in that. Uh, I reckon that's, uh, I reckon that's why that game felt weird. It wasn't empty enough, which Ben mentioned. Yeah. Do you have any tips on world building as far as writing um, in regards to this kind of an issue? I know David's done a lot of fantasy stuff. Maybe you could talk about the process you guys go through or if there is a process. So I wanted to kick us off with... I've kind of got a vague structure that I put together yeah. that I'm going to spring on you. Um, but then we can kind of go through... I've Basically what I've done is I've, I've got an example of some perfect world building dialogue from something that I was watching the other day. Yeah. Um, I've got some dot points on the keys to world building. So we'll go through some of our tips on that. And then I've got a list of good stuff and bad stuff as far as world building. Yeah, I generally just have a list of examples that sort yeah. of do the same thing. Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll go through, yeah, we'll go through the sort of the, the pillars of it, and then we'll do good stuff, bad stuff. Um, yeah. As we, yeah, because our, <laughs> our favorite part yeah. of every show, listing stuff. Yeah. It's, lists. you guys love it, I think. <laughs> no one's no one said otherwise, so I assume you do. Yeah. Otherwise, why'd you come back? Because it's half of what we do. Is just I, list this stuff. podcast just a just, big, big bunch of lists. Yeah, check out Ben's side podcast, listing stuff, where he just—it's <laughs> <laughs> just an hour and a half of Ben with a list. With a list. It's like today's episode is hats, green hats, fedoras. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's beanies. that secret side episode that we side mm. show that I was doing that mm-hmm. we we're talking about weeks ago. That's right. It's that listing things. I didn't tell you, but the artwork for that is finished. I just haven't sent it through yet. I've been so busy. Is it hats? No, it's it's is it just a list. What? Yeah, it's a list. Okay. Cool. No, but the artwork for your show is different. Yeah. <laughs> I it through. Um Okay, so this is uh, a sample of a script from a Doctor Who episode. And it's not the best, but I think it's one of the best of the worst. So it's how you can do it in a context where you don't have a lot of time to world build. Yeah. So basically for some context, Doctor uh, the Doctor and Donna have landed in the library, so the world it's like a, a planet that is a library. It's the mm. Uh, universe's biggest library and there's no people around uh, and they've they've interacted with a computer and it's basically been like stay out of the shadows everyone's dead and they're like what the fuck and so they, they, they go into a computer and they go uh, scan for signs of life and they find two sentient forms of life 
and then he he widens the parameters to all signs of life, and they find like six hundred million signs of life, and it's like this: oh, something's wrong here. Moment. Yeah, and so we then get a few scenes in in the interim, um, and we get the doctor basically go. He he just turns around. And he's like, stay out of the shadows. There's something in them, and yeah. we go shit. Okay, and so this is doctor. Almost every species in the universe has an irrational fear of the dark, but they're wrong because it's not irrational. It's Vashta Narada. Donna, what's Vashta Narada? Doctor, it's what's in the dark. It's what's always in the dark. And then that's the end of that scene. Yeah. And so what you get is... We get the stakes, because he's being like, shit, this is bad. Yeah. He's like, you get the stakes, you immediately have history there without being like, well, every species in the universe, as we know <laughs> from the historical text. Like, no, he just assumes that we understand that he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, we get the name of whatever this creature is, the Vashta Narada. We don't know what that means, but we don't no. need to. We just know it's bad. And instead of her going, what's Vashta Narada? And the Doctor going, well, the Vashta Narada is a species from planet blah, 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 that does blah, 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 yeah. and looks like blah, and acts like blah. Instead of that, he's like, he, he offers this line, which is, it's what's in the dark, it's what's always in the dark. And we go, okay, that's what's in the shadows. Yeah. But he doesn't say, it's what's in the shadows. No. Because that's terrible. That's stupid. And that's, that's some writing. prequel shit. Yeah. So, like, that's a great example of if you are like, oh, I need to get this concept out really quickly because it sets the stakes yeah and then the rest of it is is him le- like you basically learn as you go after that the implications of what they're dealing with and everything else but that initial moment is so crucial to get right and not ham fist it and not underdo it that if you can get that initial moment of like hey here's the thing we've never seen before how does it work instead of explaining how it works show us how it works and give it us does, give yeah. us that you, you got to lead the, the the breadcrumbs. It sort of does go back to the show don't tell. Yeah, which, which is, is true. Which is true. But it's it's sometimes okay to tell, but in certain contexts, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, it's usually not as a rule, but there are some contexts where it works really well. Particularly if someone is giving misinformation, or if the telling is more important than the showing. So, like, if two characters have a differing opinion about something, and you see uh, something occur, and then later on, so. Say it's like, uh, say you have a ghoul of some kind. You've got a monster, and you, you and you and a character, character A, on screen experience this monster in some way, and then character B, who was not present during that scene, goes, "Oh, the monster! You know, it's a blah 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 blah." If that contradicts character A, that could be a point of tension. So you can do stuff with telling that works, but it has to be in context with showing. Yeah. Um. So I guess the keys. I've kind of just made some dot points of some. I did a. I did research. I mean. Oh wow. I know. I just thought um, about things. Yeah. So I've got some dot points of the kind of pillars of world building that you go through as a writer that I go through when I construct worlds. Yeah. Um. And I've been working on a sky pirate. It's kind of a sky pirate novel, but it's more of a uh, spaghetti western space opera set in a sky pirate context. So it's sky pirates. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's also it's got, still sky pirates, it's, and it's like a little bit post. It's kind of like a satire of. Well, it's not really satirical, but it's like a take on the post-apocalyptic bullshit that's been popular lately. Oh, yeah. And I've just basically turned it on its head and done something different with it. Yeah. But in the context of sky pirates and using the storytelling constructs of like space operas and spaghetti westerns. Well, yeah, that would be an interesting sort of world-building experience because you would have to, because there's a lot of like, especially like technology. Mm. in that sort of environment yeah. would be completely different yes, to what totally different. is known. So you would have to really think about how do I tell people, how do I mm. show people how things work. And the easiest way, and I'll talk about that a bit at the end, I think after we've gone through our examples, but 
Yeah. Yeah. The, basically, this is the structure I go through. So yeah. this is kind of this isn't necessarily step by step, but I kind of go through these as I'm creating something. Yeah. Um, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, or if you have any points of contention. Um, and hopefully we can draw out some kind of a a, a process that would work. Yeah. And it's all about context as well. Like it does, depending on the sort of the media you're using, mm. it changes. You have you talk. I'm away from the microphone. You you just stared at me. Yeah, <laughs> I was getting my water and like Ben is just looking at me, giving me a fucking blank dull-eyed stare. <laughs> um, I kind of have to duck around this microphone with the setup mm. that we're in. We're in comfy IKEA. IKEA I gotta chairs. lean around it. Um, although the other day I realized um, when I was going through editing one of our podcasts, I started about over here, <laughs> so it sounds like I forgot to turn my mic on. And then you, <laughs> and I and got then an you email. Move slowly I got over a, towards the side. <laughs> I got like... an email from someone being like, "David, you idiot! You forgot to turn your microphone on." And I'm like, "Dude, listen for more than thirty seconds." <laughs> um, okay. So the first thing is understanding your conceit, and so basically, uh, that's that's pretty. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, but if you don't know what that, that kind of means in context, um, understanding your conceit means that in certain contexts, certain things are acceptable. So in uh, the Lord of the Rings world, so in Middle-earth, characters can have these great snippets of, not really monologues, but they're kind of monologues where someone will say something really profound that doesn't feel too polished or clunky, and it's just this nice little snippet. So like, for an example, at the end of the first Hobbit film, uh, Bilbo has that speech where he's like, um, you know, I miss my armchair like and my, my fire. Well, not, a, yeah. And he's like, I miss my armchair and my fire and all the things about home that, like, that's the most important thing to me. And you don't have a home, so that's why I'm going to fight with you. Yeah. Um, and that's a great little part of the conceit of Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth and stuff is the characters say stuff like that. And you've got that Sam speech in Lord of the, in, the, in Two Towers. And yeah. that's part of that conceit. Whereas if you did that in, like, uh, if you did something like that in a James Bond film, it doesn't work with the conceit. Yeah. But what you can do in a James Bond film is have really quippy scenes that kind of are punctu- Like, uh, you can have scenes that are punctuated entirely by quips or jokes. Whereas you can't really in Lord of the Rings. You can't, yeah. Um, and that's kind of... Yeah, so that's like the conceit. So you have to decide the conceit of the world you're in. So, like, um, if, if you're in Lord of the Rings, you can have these great little nuggets of these really quotable monologues or whatever. Yeah. But in James Bond, you can't really do that. Or, um, try to think of other examples, but those are the two films I've watched recently. And I was going to say Star Wars, but Star Wars has very similar aspects to, um, Lord of the Rings in some ways, in that there's a conceit there where you can have characters who can deliver these kind of meaningful pieces of dialogue, not monologues, but pieces of dialogue. Yeah, it's, they're a lot smaller, Mm. especially now. Like, original trilogy, they characters would monologue a little bit more. Yeah, a little more. But now, and like, the prequels were kind of... It was all dialogue, mostly. <laughs> but, like, not... Uh, yep. That was just sort of rambling in the prequels. Whereas the new... Tri- the, like, a sequel tw- trilogy, um, it's sort of a little bit of both. Like, you get yeah. a lot of, quip, like, fast, quippy scenes. Yeah. I mean, one, one of my big complaints about The Force Awakens is, is that it was too quippy. I'm watching it again, I still have that gripe, but one of the best... One of the best moments of that film is when uh, Ray and Finn have just met Han, and they're on the Falcon. Um, and well, I'm not sure if... It might be after that weird Star Trek scene. I can't remember when it's placed in the film. But when Ray's like, we've got the map to Luke, and they have the map up in the in the cabin... Yeah. Um. And and that's after the the Star. Uh, yeah. Trek after the Star Trek scene. Um. <laughs> and Han, he he basically is like, it's all it's true, all of it. Yeah. That piece of dialogue is small in character, 
and it's perfect. And yeah. It's perfectly delivered and it's perfectly shot. It's in and, the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> and it should be. Yeah. It's amazing. That's why it's in the trailer. Like, it's so good. Um, but that's part of the conceit of Star Wars is that you can have characters do stuff like that. Um, yeah. Or you can have, uh, re- uh, you know, bits, bits. Uh, I don't want to spoil the ending of the film, but you can have bits that can be really long-lasting sequences that might not necessarily work in other contexts if it's a super serious film or if it's super funny or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and a good example of not understanding your conceit is uh, there's moments in The Hobbit, the the second and third film. You haven't seen the third one. I haven't seen the third. The second film particularly, there's moments where they don't understand their conceit and they'll try and make a scene too funny or too serious or, like, just really weird. So... Although a good another good example is the Star Wars Star Trek sequence. Yeah. They were like JJ just That was just odd. It just didn't fit. Yeah. And that's how you know that you've you've misunderstood your conceit for a scene is that it feels out of place. Yeah. And someone will go, I don't know why, but it feels off. It feels like a Star Trek film. Yeah. Cause because it's it, that's the yeah. conceit of Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> like although that being said, the new Star Trek looks fucking awesome. Yeah. Everyone it was everyone who saw that, the internet's weird. The trailer came out, everyone was like, Oh my god, it looks awful. <laughs> but, like, I grew up on Star Trek, and I saw that trailer, I was like, shit, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Fucking Sabotage is, they, they're doing that kind of Guardians thing where they're going to be using old music again. Because they, oh, they, yeah. they did it a bit in the first Star Trek, where there's that great opening sequence where Kirk is, is on a, he's stolen his stepdad's car, he's like 10. Yeah. And he's going down the freeway and he's playing Sabotage. Yeah. And it's one of the best scenes of that film. Because <laughs> it's so Kirk and it's like this amazing piece of... That's also great world building. Because there's, there's a robot cop on a hover bike that's chasing him. But at no point does any character... Like, at no point is Kirk like, Oh my god, it's a robot cop on a hover bike because it's the future. Like, you just... Yeah. You know, because you're not dumb. And like, Yeah, it's a robot cop on yeah. a hover bike. You're and like, the, okay. Yeah, you're like, cool. And then the radio in the car has like a touch screen and a video call. Looper, Looper does the same thing. Well, the characters in Looper wear clothes from, like, the 50s. Yeah. But then you see, like, the cars. Mm. And you see, like, the architects. You're like, okay, no, never mind. It's it's the future. And then there's the, the future future. I do not remember Looper. Looper's where uh, JGL kills Yeah, himself. I know. I was just... The, As Bruce Willis. I've only seen that film once, and I was so drunk. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't remember any of that. It's an alright film. Yeah, I guess. There's lots of plot holes, but... I didn't know. I really don't remember any of it. But, yeah, um, it's because it's a time travel I film. remember a great... There's a few good action sequences. Actually, yeah, in terms of world building, just don't do time travel. But if you're going to do time travel, <sighs> very clearly define how... Like, you have to really clearly define mm. how your time travel works. Okay, Because yeah, if well, you muck it up, people yeah. will notice. Well, we'll get to that in the powers and magic segment. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then the other thing... So, yeah, understanding and conceit is, is rule one. Uh, thing one. Thing two is history. So, like, have a rough idea of how you got from the start of time to here. Like, even if it's just yeah. a one sentence, be like, the people evolved like they did normally. If it's a if it's set in like California and it's a drama, it's like a high school drama. Yeah. Be like, people were on the earth and then society happened like it normally did. And now we're here. Yeah. That's all you need to do for that. But like Lord of the Rings, Tolkien wrote the appendix, or the appendices. Sorry. And that's just all history. Yeah. And he was like, I, he, he penned creation myths. You have his separate books that were all about the creation myths and the gods, the similarians, stuff like that. And you get this kind of... He, he understood the history of his world. And so you don't have to be that thorough. If you, if you, you are, can. you can be. <laughs> but there's a better way to do it now. So I mean, it can be fun, to be honest. It can be fun for you, but I think the biggest problem, particularly if you're a 
just speaking from an author's perspective, it's a bit different for game design because you can incorporate it with like audio logs or yeah. however you want to do it contextually. But the difficulty with a writer is that you're actually not writing when you're doing that. Yeah, um, true. And and one of the biggest things is that you have to like to produce a novel, you have to write a lot. So like this, I've been on holidays from work for two weeks now. I think. Yeah, that's yeah, two weeks uh, ish, and. I've written, like, f- upwards of 5,000 words a day, which I have to do to get this novel finished. But yeah. if I'd spent all that time doing history, I would have not written the novel. It's like it's valuable, but it's also not. How far back would you say you'd have to go? Because one, like, kind of ridiculous example is the difference between Warhammer's world and Warhammer 40,000's world, because they're mm. the same world. Yeah. One's just 40,000 years in the future. And there is a lot of history that Games Workshop has made, yeah. but it only goes back to like twenty five thousand. Yeah. So there's like fifth, there's like fifteen thousand years of history mm-hmm. that they've sort of actually fleshed out. Yeah. But the original Warhammer starts at oh, basically okay. zero, but they're the same world, and Warhammer does have a history as well, like yeah. before the events of Warhammer. But it's sort of this single universe which has these two like timelines which happen one after the other one after the other yeah but they sort they never really connect them because they go yes they don't really want to explain yeah, they, how they one exist, point got to the they other they exist in parallel yeah i think that's fine um i would say you only have to go as far back as is required for you to understand not necessarily for the reader to understand so like yeah because even like warhammer the original doesn't go that far back it'll be it sort of stops at the point of these races existed yes and then goes from there yeah and i think like obviously the lord of the rings goes further than that it basically explains how you kind every, of get creation yeah. you get it you get you go from creation kind of a creation yeah. myth the, i mean the world exists and then things happen in it uh, I mean, with the novel I'm working on at the moment, which is this Sky Pirate thing, the point I started at was uh, I went because it's kind of it's kind of it's not a post-apocalyptic novel, but it, yeah. it occurs after some kind of an apocalypse. Yeah. Um, sort of. I went from the point of the apocalypse, and I went back far enough that I could work out how you would get from where we might be now to that point to yeah. then where you are in the novel so like that's you what kind uh, of, you kind of have these nodes that you go through yeah yeah that's what fallout does with its world even though it's purely post-apocalyptic mm. uh, most of most of the new games only focus on the start of nuclear war and mm-hmm. then up to the current point but yeah. the original games they flesh out a lot of the pre-war like yeah the context the, of yeah the context of why the wars mm. happened fallout 4 just fucking glosses over it really fast and then continues um it I will say, not not uh, no spoilers, but I will say that it does more than Fallout Three does. As you get further into the game, yeah. it flushes it out more in Fallout Four. Yeah. The original um, Fallout, like Fallout One and Two, they kind of hint at like pre-war because a lot of the locations in the original Fallout's, it's like you're in California, and yeah. California before the war was just California, basically. Yeah. Oh, so I happened. guess I guess to that then for Fallout New Vegas, you didn't play the DLC. But no, one of the big them. things in the focus in that is the old world. Yeah. Um, and you get characters who have, like, it's, yeah, they've they've done a much better job of it in after, like, 
New Vegas DLC onwards, and Fallout 4, particularly as you get later into the story of the game, yeah. they kind of reveal more of the like how they got to the, the, the apocalypse yeah. or whatever. So I feel a good point would be, like, find some sort of, like, point where there is a big change in your world that is, like, divergent from what is, like, expected or normal. Like, yeah. even if it's in the past. So for, like, Fallout, it's the nuclear yeah. attacks. For, like... Lord of the Rings, maybe it's, you know, when the races are born or whatever. I think, I yeah, for Lord of the Rings, it's the start of the first age. Yeah, of, like, f- of for most of Warhammer 40k, it's, like, when the Space Marines were made. Like, that's sort of the start of history, because that's when one of... That's when, like, the last big, like, empire was started. Yeah. The Space Marines were pretty much the last ones. Well, Tyranids, kind of. But, like... And I think if you have, like, a world which has like which focuses on like an important piece of technology yeah you would want to start your history at that piece of technology yes it's one thing that i wish in time did you know that shitty movie with the clocks on your arm uh, what? that was a fine film no yes. it's a good theory it's just Great idea. it was just executed really poorly yeah. i think it would have been a lot better if they had sort of instead of just introducing the world as everyone has clocks on their hands and when you run out of time you die go Here's why everyone has clocks on their hands. <sighs> now let's fast forward I might have to ha- current time. No, I would have hated that. My I would have problem- loved... I think it would have contextualized a lot of the sort of socioeconomic... Because, sp- like, that whole... Like, that whole movie is basically Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. Sort of just Robin, Hill, Robin Hood style. Yeah. Like... The the problem... I think the, the I think what you're saying is correct. The problem with what they did was that they fix... The end of the film fixes... The end of the film breaks the universe because the premise of the universe is that everyone has clocks on their arms. And the end of the film, everyone gets as much time as they need. Yeah, the, like, the ending of the film's dumb. I, like, but in terms of that universe, <laughs> which I, I do like the... Like, it's the universe cool of time is cool, is cool. It's a cool idea. They just, like, don't do it very well. I don't know. Don't... But it's like, if... Don't I've, show me, but give me, give me a few throwaway lines of dialogue. Yeah, like, even if it's just that, like... In, throughout the story like don't don't show it to me or anything but like give us a little more yeah which is just part of or if, if like if some dude is rich enough he might have lived since before there were clocks on wrists give, give me that guy walk past and give us this like a quick hot line of dialogue that gives us a clue of how we got here yeah like we need some kind of a you you need to be able to take something like you have to be able to take a familiar point and draw to the point that you're at now yeah. even in lord of the rings like the the um the age of man so the the first age of middle earth yeah it's like oh well this was when gondor was the, the the big thing and you had the elves or whatever who were massive like the elves were they owned everything yeah. and this is when we first start to see other races and this kind of thing but we understand we're able to get into the world because we go oh well there's villages of man that are kind of like vikings and mm. i know what viking villages are like and oh look there's like medieval towns and i know what they're like okay, now I'm on board with the elves because I've got a touch... You have to, like, add these touchstones yeah. so you can trace a line from where you're at now to where your world is. Yeah. So in, in time, all we needed was, like, one or two lines of dialogue that would give us that, that yeah, line to how trace. how people... Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And, like, why people are born with that clock as well. Yeah. Like, that's the weird one. But like, also... Yeah. No, yeah. It's like a digital that. display. I would understand if it was, like, forcibly given to everyone. 
like mm. when you get born it's like state sanction that you have to have a clock yeah and it like wires up to your brain like i would accept that more than just you're born with it but the slums of <laughs> the slums are filled with people how do they get to all the people in the slums who are having births they don't know well that yeah that's yeah that's the it's problem just, yeah yeah um, <laughs> that's why they were like fuck you're just born with it which is like which why? is a problem because you need to you need to solve as a writer you need to solve those problems before they're problems yeah um which is a nice segue, the in-time clocks on the wrist is a nice segue to the next thing, next pillar, which is the economy. The economy of your world is only important in that characters, 90% of the time, have a transaction, at least one transaction of some kind, in your world. Like, even if, like, in Lord of the Rings, Frodo fucking, he never buys anything. Like, Frodo never buys anything, but... They go to a tavern and they they pay for they get a they get ale and food and stuff. Yeah. So we know that the economy works in coins in that world. Yeah. That's all we need. But like you have to establish that economy and how it functions. Yeah. Um, and sort of that ties in, I think, pretty heavily into cartography. Uh, so as far as the the, you don't necessarily have to draw a map. It sometimes helps. It sometimes doesn't. But the economy and cartography are pretty much linked because if you have a farming village. Who are they selling their crops to? Where else are they getting all their stuff? And that kind of bleeds into culture. So I think once you have economy and cartography, it kind of fills everything else out. Yeah. So if you have uh, an economy that's like, oh, well, everyone uh, eats and sells corn. That's the only food that exists anymore for, <laughs> yeah. for whatever reason. Um, what about people that can't, aff- that can't grow corn where they live? How do they make... It's suddenly interstellar. Oh, shit. They grow corn. That's maybe where I pull that from. I don't know. I, there was a weird one. Maybe that is where that came from. Yeah. But yeah, those kind of are intrinsically linked. Um, mm. And you just have to know where stuff is physically, not necessarily on a map. Interstellar actually does some pretty good world building mm. through just showing, even just through the main character, how he was... We know he was like an ex-NASA pilot, mm-hmm. but now he's a farmer. Like, even just that tells you, oh, society has sort of crumbled down to the point where if you're smart, you're now a farmer. Yes. Because that's just what you have to do. And they sort of do a little bit of telling where they where he's at the uh, school and she says, we oh, need yeah. more farmers. Yeah. We don't need engineers. Like, that's just... He's just telling us. It's not really as much as, like, a showing. Yeah. But, like, the main character being, you know, he's an ex... Like, they show us he's an ex-pilot yeah. and clearly he flies the ship in the I think movie. that's a that's a fine example of telling because it's actually... Like, there's already conflict in the scene. Yeah, like he doesn't. Like just... it would make sense for the principal to say, "We don't need engineers; yeah. we need farmers like you." Yeah. And, and then he like... says, "I was." Yeah, yeah, it's like it's so rough because it's just like when he says, "Like we need farmers like you." It's you in your mind you're thinking, "But he's not a farmer; he's an engineer." Yeah. And he exactly. said that before. Yeah, so it's kind of this nice. Uh, it's a yeah. It's, it's a very well done. It's concept. really that's a really nice film in in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think like the fur, like the pre-space part of Interstellar is, like, actually a very well, like, put together, just, like, drama. It's super well considered, it's well yeah. shot, it's... Super interesting. Like... The the only thing that I think is a little goofy um, is that first time where they go to the... When, when they first meet NASA, that sequence of them getting into NASA is really weird. I don't know if you remember that, but they yeah. the truck. Like, it just... It was a weird, like, oh, uh, how do we get them I into think if, the... Yeah, I think if, like, this... If you take away all the connections to nasa and all the the stupid gravity thing with the the ghost tractors going to the house and like the anomaly or whatever i think if you ignore all that and you just take the world as it is like it's actually pretty interesting Mm. because you're not like especially when they talk about like what is it the blight yeah 
they just they don't they don't ever show what the blight is yeah they show someone burning their crops because it has the blight we don't know what it is but you, you never actually know what you it don't is need to yeah exactly you're um, just told and that's almost that almost makes it scarier because it's not like as a viewer you never actually learn what it is so it's this unknown entity that just apparently decimates decimated the, the crops just decimates hum- like mankind I mean, even they did some really clever shit where it's never stated, but they go and see a baseball game, and it's like the Red Sox, and they're in this tiny yeah. like backyard baseball yeah. stadium because that's like, Cause that's it, like it. so clever. Like I was like, oh and my then god! When there's that giant idea. like sandstorm coming, yeah, and the alarms go off, and all like like people don't start freaking out; they just go, "Well, let's get out of here." Yeah, they're like, "We gotta shut the windows. Like, well, we, we gotta just, go home. We just gotta go home. Shut the windows. You know, and- just." To f- huge ass sandstorm yeah, exactly. coming we can't see like two meters in front of you yeah it's but like, we're used to it yeah and they, they drive home and they've got everything boarded up because they've been doing it for a while yeah but i think that's that kind of takes us nicely into magic powers or whatever which is what i've written it as <laughs> um so here we go this is my biggest gripe with a lot of stuff um yeah it's really easy to solve as well if you're gonna have magical powers doesn't matter i don't care what the powers are or what the magic is good more imaginative the better or even not whatever give it um, rules have rules, limitations, and rhetoric, and yep. you cannot Follow break them. the you rules. Cannot break the rules. Like you, even if they like once they're established, don't break the rules. There is one time when I, there's one time when I'm okay with breaking the rules, and that is to create conflict. If you break a rule to resolve conflict, I hate you. If you go like, yes. oh, this thing's gonna destroy the world and nothing can stop him. It, when you say that and then someone stops him, you just broke your own rules. Yes. Okay. Don't do that. I, that was actually really... Like, that's what a deus ex machina yes. is. It's literally just, oh, hi, gods. Gods are here to save everyone. But Everyone's think, fine. It's like... That's a really it's a really poignant point, though. Yeah. You, I think breaking rules to create conflict is the, in... Works. It, if you do it, if you do it, like, very sparingly and you really, like... And if it literally, like, means that, like, causes a bad ending, like, everyone dies, then it's like, okay, they somehow, like, broke the rules that were set and no one could handle it. Yeah. And it, it like, it over, it destroyed everyone. Like, that's interesting, because it's like, well, shit. Like, it would be kind of shitty. You'd be like, well, that's kind of dumb. Uh, but I mean, it depends. It's like, better, ways to like, it. it's better than having someone just break the rules and succeed and overcome conflict because of it. So here's... Okay, so here's a good example of how not to do it. Actually, no, I don't want to do examples yet um, of this in particular because I've got a few on my list. Yeah. But if you have... Okay, so I have in the in the novel that I'm working on at the moment, and I'm not going to give too much away because it will be an audiobook eventually and I'll self-publish it through DCM Works and stuff, but there are characters with certain abilities. Yeah. I know what they are, I know exactly what they can do, how they can do it, when they can do it, what the cost is, what the limitations are, who can gain access to these abilities, and how it functions. But no one in the world really thinks that magic is real, Yeah. in the sense that they know a lot of, they in a lot of folk songs and stories and stuff, they know that uh, they're, you know, they, they fantasize about these people, so there's different characters in their folklore that had these powers to call down lightning or throw fireballs or whatever it was in the yeah. context of the folk song. And that's what they think magic is. So they're like, oh yeah, well it's you call silly. down a lightning strike yeah. or you throw a fireball or you have, you know, you can f- uh, do whatever it is. Yeah. But all of that is based in 
the actual ability some of these people have that to some people that's how they saw that story that's how it got recorded or whatever it is yeah but as the author i have a i have a word document that is like 30 33 pages long of all of the details of this magic who's used it when they've used it how they've used it what they used it for what the limitations are how it's evolved and the exceptions to the rules that exist and there's only two exceptions and the exceptions that exist exist and they i didn't realize this but they actually create the conflict in the novel well yeah that's the (laughs) thing it's just like oh wow that actually works out Mm. because then it creates like a starting point yeah um but i think yeah I, i mean the only way to explain the way that it works in context is if you have a good example of something that did this terribly and that broke all of its own rules that should have been amazing was the Force Unleashed. I've been playing that a bit lately because it came yeah. with... I realized I owned it because there was a Star Wars sale and I was like, oh, I had bought that pack a while ago. Oh, I have all these Star Wars games. I, I have I every single Star Wars games on Steam. Yeah. I don't know why. I just do. I don't know why either. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'll Even go the back shit and, ones. <laughs> I'll go back and play it. So I blasted through the Force Unleashed in like a week. Yeah. Just, I was playing like an hour every night. It was pretty fun. I did the Force Unleashed 2 in, like, two days, because it's so short. It's a yeah. shit game. But um, one of the biggest problems in that is that Starkiller, the character, the Jedi Sith character you play as, um, his powers are so dissonant from what we know about Star Wars that, like, there's no rules to how he works. Yeah. You know that you know in the Phantom Menace, when they do that, uh, Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon do that quick dash through the hallway? Yeah. That we never see again. Because I guess they forget the powers they have, like in prequels. Because um, you know what would have been good when um, when Qui Gon was fighting Darth, and there were those doors that were shutting. Just dash through them. Just dash through them. Because <laughs> you can do that. Because you did it in the start of the film. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so fucking. Mm. But so uh, one of the problems with that game and the way that they construct Starkiller's powers is Darth Vader is like, you are the most force sensitive person who's ever lived. You've got such manipulation of the Force, it's amazing. Which is fine. That's like, okay. I don't mind. that's fair. But... that's what the Force is. But... For gameplay's sake, they break their own rules. So you can jump into the air and shoot lightning, and you'll just hover while you're shooting lightning. No Jedi can hover. Or you'll <laughs> jump up, and you'll do... He's got this great move that is a fucking great... So cool is his Force Repulse, where he kind of... He, uh, he kind of scrunches up and then he's able to sort of exert force from every part he of his does, body. He does in this, the Matrix. In, in, a, in a dome or whatever. It's yeah. stupid that it's a dome, but that idea is cool. Yeah. Um, we've seen that in some of the Extended Universe stuff as well, um, that move. But he does stuff like the most amazing scene in that entire game gameplay franchise, all two games of it, is when he pulls a Star Destroyer out of the sky. And it's so... No, it's such a good oh, scene. Man. It's such a good scene, because you're on this planet, and he just... He's pissed off. Yeah. I, I think, in true Star Wars fashion, I think it's because someone has his... The, the girl that he's in love with, I think she's in danger or something. And he rips this, this Star Destroyer out of the sky, and it's the most amazing scene. And I was like, oh my god. And he takes all of his energy to do it. Yeah. But then in the next game, it's just a whatever to him. He can just do it all the time. It's no hassle. And then, like, everything is to... You know, he lifts up. Like, yeah. So in the next game, he force pushes a hole through a Star Destroyer. Yeah. And it's like, okay, what? And they just lost the plot because they forgot that they had limitations. Yeah. Because they were like, oh, it'd be a cool thing to do in the game if you could do this. Instead of... That is like... You know? I hate hearing that. They're like, oh, wouldn't this be cool? It's like, No. No, no, it wouldn't. wouldn't. Yes. Shut up. <laughs> There's um, 
there's an amazing scene on uh, in Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the Weathertop sequence that is iconic. Uh, they're they're at the uh, they they've just left. It's Aragorn and the four hobbits, um, and the four hobbits have had a barbecue on the side of the mountain, and the ring wraiths are attracted, and Aragorn fights them on the top of the on the top of a like, uh, broken yeah. down tower. Yeah, and he's got like a torch, and like yeah. the the four hobbits are like in the middle of it, shaking with their swords up, and the ring wraiths are about to attack, and Aragorn like fucking leaps in with a flaming torch and a sword. Yeah, in the book, um, Aragorn has the torch and the sword, but originally. He was going to have like a firebrand sword that he could ignite, and then he Ugh. would then use to fight the ring wraiths. Dumb. <laughs> and I was like, "No, nah, that's stupid." That's stupid. And so one of the there's a great um, you can read the letters that um, Tolkien wrote to various people about this kind of thing. But he was like, "No, that's dumb because then I have to explain how firebrands work and why don't why doesn't everyone have one and like yeah whatever." Um, and there was a scene in something that I've seen recently with someone. It might have been Pirates of the Caribbean where someone dips a blade in oil and like sets it on fire and uses like a flaming sword yeah but it worked in the context it might have been pirates of the caribbean i could be misremembering that but stuff like that works because you understand the rules of that universe in that oil is super flammable in that universe yeah because we've seen it and like rum explodes we've seen that happen we're fine with that but if say you're watching an episode of mad men and suddenly like a case of rum explodes you'd be like <laughs> even even if it was in context and like there was a reason for yeah some fire to touch a barrel of rum you'd be like well that doesn't happen in this world because we have normal physics in this world yeah that's one thing that i thought was kind of dumb about far cry 2 was mm. that you if you shot like a box of ammo like all the ammo would start firing off and the base the box would just basically turn into like or like a, a shrapnel ex- like a shrapnel explosive yeah and it would just like fire off and a lot of people were like oh that's dumb that's not how bullets work and it's just like yes we know but that's how ammo boxes work in this game yes like they like when that because of that they become a tool if there's like someone if there's like an enemy like standing guard at a checkpoint and you see an ammo box next to him and you don't need the ammo you can just shoot the ammo box and you'll take out everyone in like a 10 meter radius yeah and it's like when you have and like it's it's consistent like every single one of them will do that so it's okay it's like the same reason why people are like oh explosive barrels are always red it's just like yes because if they weren't it would be just be more confusing you'd just be shooting every if, barrel being like yeah. why isn't it exploding yeah it's like, like if, the if they were like oh <laughs> barrel like why are regular barrels not explosive but all the explosive ones are red it's just like because that's how the world works because you put red on barrels are explosive so you don't accidentally shoot them yeah and it's just like it, you want it's the conceit just, of that like that's just how that universe works yeah okay let's talk about magic for a second yeah magic is great and i love it it's good fun the best example of magic it's a good card game that exists <laughs> <laughs> i quit that's it that's it i'm done uh that's this is the last episode of the off-roaders podcast i don't know what to tell you guys i'm out see you everyone it. um so i've been rereading the uh name of the winds so the king killer chronicles there's yeah. only two of them so far by patrick rothfuss by the way, one of the best written pieces of prose, those two books, I think ever, maybe. I don't say that lightly. Like, actually, genuinely, the per- like they are perfect fantasy novels in every sense of the word. There's not a single, there's there's not even there's not like a single moment in that in any of those, and they're big, thick, dense novels. Yeah. Um, there's not a single moment that is bad or poorly done, and there's not a single part of the world that doesn't work, and it's just. Yeah, in my mind, they're the perfect fantasy novels. So if you're writing fantasy, you have to read those. I would say probably over Lord of the Rings. 
because he basically Patrick Rothfuss takes everything that's great about Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons and is able to sort of draw out the threads of that which are what make them great. Yeah, he, he constructs this world, but in this world, magic is kind of a uh, it kind of works like physics ish. So there's this thing called sympathy, and sympathy is a kind of magic in this world. And sympathy is the idea that you can connect two items um, in some way. So like if I have two uh, 50 cent pieces that are from the same piece of metal and I lift one if I am good enough at sympathy if I lift one it lifts the other one if I'm yeah. not like through air but the one that you lift weighs as much as both oh okay so it's like if and, but but the the more distant the connection the harder that will be to lift because it's it's like a thinner it's like a, so, it's like yeah. a ratio kind so of if thing. I lifted a coin and a and a branch so if i if i picked up a coin and i wanted it to lift a branch it might weigh like a hundred tons because the connection's really thin because yeah. one is metal and one is organic or whatever yeah and so what you're doing is like the idea behind it is that if you're really good at magic you can be like well this coin um came from steel which came from this which came from this which was eventually dirt and that tree also came from dirt and so you connect them via that yeah and so you can lift them and that's the premise of the magic like it doesn't go any further than that but it's interesting because no one can break that rule. Yeah. But you can do really interesting stuff with it. Like, you can light fires in kind of cool ways, and you can do some really cool stuff with different things. But what you end up with is you end up with a really clean magic system. It has limitations and rules. Because if you can't lift 100 pounds, you're not lifting that coin. Yeah. Um, or if you want to connect two super dissonant things, you might be able to for a minute, but you might black out from exhaustion. Yeah. Or Stuff like that. So you kind of get this really... It's really clear, it's really defined, and it works in the context of that world. And then later on, you get the expansion of, like... Uh, he kind of plays with some other stuff, but that system never changes. Yeah. And it's, like, the core of that magic. And the reason that works is that at the start of the novel, we see it happen a few times, but it's never explained. Yeah. So one of the characters... Um, he's actually the only character we think that can use sympathy um, at the start. Uh, he lights a fire when no one's watching with magic. We just don't know how it happens. Like, he... I think he breathes... I can't think of how he does it, but he does some action, and the fire catches a light near him. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's weird. But you don't really think much of it. Yeah. And then later on, he does a few other things where, like, he cuts... He's saving time, so he cuts... He's cutting wood, and he cuts two pieces at the same time. And you're like, that's weird. How did he do that? It's never explained, and then gradually you start to understand it. But... The minute that, and this never happens, but say, for instance, in the third act of the first novel, the character was like, back against the wall, I'm so fucked, I'm going to connect these two things that previously were unable to be connected. Yeah. That would only work, like, it could work if he was able to find a connection mentally, like, that he hadn't thought of before. Yeah. But only if there's a reason that he hadn't thought of it before. So if he was like, oh, I need to connect this coin in this tree for whatever reason, yeah. and he'd not thought of the fact that they're both from Earth before. We would need to know that there's a reason for that, but to do that, you kind of break that system because you have to be like, well, you know, his back's against the wall. He's like, oh, of course, they're connected because they both come from the Earth or whatever. Well, why didn't you think of that before? Like, why is that yeah. new news? why is that now? And then you're basically, as a writer, backtracking to create a premise where that's possible. Yeah. And you just kind of write yourself into a corner. Yeah. And you're just kind of, like, tripping backwards over yourself, trying to, like, reverse engineer a situation for tension instead of going, what is actually tense about this moment? And how would this character solve it if 
Like, like instead of going, here's the premise, let's try and break it to solve the conflict. Instead of that, if it'd be like, oh, how do I work within the system to solve this problem? Instead of connecting the coin and the tree, he might be like, oh, well, I can connect the tree and this other thing to give, to buy myself more time to do this other thing, to do this other thing, to, or whatever it is. Like, you have to, yeah, it's a, there's a real danger of writing yourself into a corner if you try and find ways to break rules in ways that make sense. Because then you kind of end up with, like, I'm not doing a good job of explaining this. <laughs> um, I'm really tired. But, yeah, that's, just don't break your rules. Yeah. Like, you... don't, don't have Jedis dashing through hallways if they never do it again. And it's, it's better to make very, like, it's better to make more baseline rules than to try to make, like, one general rule. Like, if you can get away with one general rule that fits for everything, then that's fine. Like, yeah. the one general rule for that would be... You like the, you can lift two objects to you can like manipulate two objects yeah. together, but the like more further apart they are, the harder it is. Yeah. Unless you know whatever, but like if you're able to just make rules which are just like one, everyone can die. Two, there is magic. Yeah. Three, here's how the magic work. If you can just do it like that, like if you can just list them off one by one, then every time you do something you can go does it follow look at your list does it follow my rules yeah. like that they're basically like they're more like axioms than rules you'd go like we have like axioms and math of yeah. just like you know uh, i forget them because i haven't done math in ages but like there's there's certain things that you have to believe are true before you can make further assumptions and yes. for world building that's super important because you're not actually observing you're creating so you have to sort of make these axioms like ahead of time you mm. go like here's like here's the rules here's like the baseline what has to happen and then sort of extrapolate from that yeah so like if with that like sympathy system if he was like he pro- like he wouldn't but like it would be cool if he like really like dug down and like went like sort of step by step so like you know this sympathy system and then or like the sympathy magic and then below that like why does sympathy magic exist and then like below that why does why does that why does the thing above me you know just keep Mm. going down keep breaking it down yeah into the like more like like definitive parts until like as far as you can get yeah like within reason because then when you get to that lowest point you have a really good understanding of what can i do what can my characters do that still fits the rules and I can still explain? Well, the the super clever thing about the way that he ended up doing it is instead of... So the way that we learn about sympathy is basically the premise of the novel is that you've got this sort of fallen hero um, who we don't really know anything about him, but he... Someone... Re- this uh, this record keeper recognizes him in this old bar where he's he owns or whatever, and he's like, holy shit, you're this guy who, like did all these amazing things in history you're that guy and he's yeah. like ah, fuck like yeah i used to be he's like well fuck you're that guy like yeah. oh my god you're this hero um and he's like well fuck and he ends up telling uh this hero ends up telling a story to this record keeper and so you basically learn his life story and that's that's the books so that the fictive exists under the umbrella of him telling the story yeah and so the first the way that we understand sympathy is he goes back to when he's 10 and he is being taught sympathy because um, he's super, super smart. The premise of these those entire books is that 
he is a he is a preternaturally smart child. Yeah. Slash person, and that's why he's really good. Like he's not a good fighter; he's just super smart, and that's how he learns to get good at fighting. Yeah. And everything else, so he he's able to learn this magic at a young age. But we learn the limitations and how the system operates because he's a thoughtless kid who's been given access to this cool thing, and so at one point he wants to like, um, uh, he wants to summon he wants to like make a quick breeze yeah because he's trying to scare someone i think i can't think of the exact context is um so he goes well the air in my lungs and the air in the wind come from the same place so i can bind them together and i can move one with the other yeah but what he forgets is that he's actually bound every part of air with his (laughs) lungs and his lungs can't move that much air yeah in as like in uh his his lungs can't move that much air in so much as he couldn't lift a mountain with his, with one hand like yeah. there's just no way he can do it so he suffocates and nearly dies yeah and it's like oh cool we understand the limitation of that because he does now yeah and then you get other stuff where there's like different kinds of sympathies so you can bind stuff chemically and you can exchange heat so it plays with the idea of thermo thermodyna- thermodynamics yeah as well so like at one point he binds his blood with someone who's freezing to death and he's able to transfer his heat to them but yeah. in exchange he's double he's doubly cold than he would have been previously yeah and stuff like that so you kind of get this it expands as he learns to use it more and more which works because he doesn't know how to use it when we start but the trouble is if you're in something like lord of the rings for instance the way that legolas functions as an elf um I'm sorry, Legolas, if apparently that's the correct way to say it. Really? I... Seeing as none of them say it that way in any of the films. It, apparently in the books it's Legolas, but whatever. whatever. Um, so Legolas, uh, <laughs> the way that his, his elven abilities work, at no point does anyone go, Elves are so strong and graceful, they can run on snow. What happens... <laughs> or they can run on snow and also track stuff real good and climb in trees good. And also what they have is, really good eyes. Yeah, what happens is... Aragorn's like, hey, fucking Legolas, what do you see? And he's like, yeah, oh. what do your elf eyes and, see? And you get this shot where he's just looking at an open plane, and he's like, I see these orcs traveling that you can't see on screen. You're like, oh, he's got super good elven eyes. They're taking the Hobbit's eyes and gone. And then there's a great, but there's a I great think moment. If, I think it's important that the dialogue was, what do your elf eyes see? Because yes. that contextualizes as it's an elf thing, not just Legolas is magical and it's just yes. a Legolas thing because if he had said what do your eyes see and he goes he's looking you'd be like okay Legolas has, has really good eyesight, eyesight yeah, that's as true. opposed to elves have really good eyesight yes and like I think- that's another show uh, it's, that's another like show don't tell thing because he's going like he's obviously like being you know a bit poncy when he says what do your elf eye elven eyes like that's kind of obnoxious but, that, but, but that's it's like Aragorn's character though. it's also that's Lord of the Rings like that's part of it's the, high fantasy yeah it's that's the part highest of the fantasy that exists <laughs> like it literally is yeah so in the way he says that like he is he is colloquially saying what do you see yeah but it gives us as the audience the information of the world mm. that okay elves have really good eyesight and they are, like there's a you don't notice it unless you're looking for it because I've read the books Lord of the Rings as well. Yeah. One of the the first moments in Lord of the Rings where you realize that Legolas is different is when they're going up the in the first book they're going up the mountain they've just left Rivendell they're going up that snowy mountain and uh, Saruman's called upon called, called this giant storm upon them and it's snowing and it's a blizzard or whatever um, and everyone's kind of like shoulder or waist deep in the snow. Yeah. Um, and Boromir's got two of the hobbits under his arm and he's helping dragging them through the snow. Yeah. And Legolas is just walking on top of the drift. Yeah. Um, and you, they do that shot in the extended cut of the film. I th- think they had it in the original cinematic release, but I can't remember. 
Yeah. I don't think they linger on it as long as they do no. in the extended cut. You get to see him walk around the entire party and walk all the way up. Like, like it's really obvious. But in the books, it just happens. Like there's no explanation. He just walks along the snow, and everyone yep. else is like fucking sunken down. And then later, later on, in I think the films do a good job. So come back to the Hobbit. This is a good tie into the first question. Yeah. But later on in the in the original trilogy, you get Legolas doing these amazing feats of acrobatics and grace and stuff. Yeah. Like when he fucking kills that Olivant by himself. Yeah. Like that giant fucking and then he just still he, counts like, as one. Yeah. That is one of those moments where you're like, oh yes, no one no one else in the party could have done that. Yeah. because um, he's an elf. But yeah. also, uh no one else in the party could have tracked the hobbits like Aragorn did, because he was a ranger and no one else could like it you start to understand the conceit of the characters through what they're doing. But the problem with the Hobbit trilogy is that in the Lord of the Rings, Legolas is the special one as far as acrobatics and stuff. Aragorn is the special one insofar as he's really good at fighting and leading. Yeah. And Boromir is the special one insofar as he's the douchebag leader character. Yeah. Or whatever. Or the, whatever it is. Each of the characters sort of are special in their own way. But in those films, Legolas is the one that can do the crazy acrobatic shit. He can do the crazy arrow shooting, spinning, skateboarding down a staircase on a shield. <laughs> one of the greatest moments of all time. Yeah. Doing all these amazing things. But only he can do it. Yeah. So it's fine. Because it's really high fantasy and it's grounded. But he's an elf and that's something he can do. In The Hobbit, the dwarves, for some reason, can do all of that crazy flippy shit that Legolas was doing. Yeah, and the CG doesn't help. Oh, look, the CG is... Well, this is, I, I don't really... Ob- like, obviously, there is CG in the original trilogy. Oh, but because it's Hobbit. just... Because most of it is just... They only really CG... Uh, well, a lot, of it, a, a lot more of it is practical in the original Lord of the Rings. But, like, when you're seeing Legolas do all that flippy shit and you like notice the CG you're like it's fine because he's the only one that's doing it yeah, he's but when one. you're seeing these like big short fat dwarves doing this crazy these acrobatic tanks. stuff you're like what it just looks it's, so bad it, it it makes no sense like it's like the barrel scene just the entire barrel sequence it doesn't make fucking it, horrible the best part of those the best part of that entire barrel sequence is Legolas because yeah. <laughs> And he's not even supposed to... Don't get me wrong. I love that they included him. I also hate it. But the fact that he's in those is fine. But it would have been even better if it was just him and the she-elf that were the only two that could do the crazy, flippy, awesome shit. And the dwarves were just these tank people. Because that's yeah. what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Instead, they're doing crazy barrel flips and in the underground goblin kingdom, they're sliding on shit and oh, jumping yeah. on shit and doing whatever. They're just... Flipping and looping and... And like... You could say, like, oh, that's what dwarves can do. But it's not. But it's not. Because we know because it's not. Because we know it's not. Because we've been with Gimli, who is, Gimli. <laughs> who is yeah. the son of one of the characters yeah. in The Hobbit. So we know that they're related and that they're part of the same race. Yep. And it's just like, <laughs> stop. It's, it's, it's brutal. The only real dwarf in that film is Thorin. Yes. Thorin cuts some dudes with a sword, he punches a lot of people, and he's really good with a shield. They still CGI him making way flips and stuff. Way too much. He didn't need to do any of that. He no. should have... You know what he should have done? They should have been like, oh, Thorin's in a fight with someone. He walks up to them. They're doing fancy shit. He just stabs them. He Indiana Jones cuts them down. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what he should do. Yeah. And then you have... The other problem with that is that Gandalf does too much magic in The Hobbit. And I know that he's younger, so he can do more magic. And we know that's how it works in the Lord of the Rings world. Because <coughs> the younger the wizard, the more magic they can perform. But the less good it is. Yeah. Right? But he has way too much magic... <coughs> And he just ends up being this weird... Like, because everyone is special, he's not special anymore. Because yeah. they can all do the Legolas shit. 
like Gandalf is no longer special. So they had to make him more special by giving yeah. him more magic. And have you like... heard the uh the have you <laughs> heard the theory that you so you know how like they when once uh Frodo puts the ring and like gets rid of the ring, yeah. they just get picked up by the eagles and then they fly off. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, Why didn't they just use the eagles? Have you heard the theory that that was the original plan, but Gan- like that was Gandalf's original plan, but he didn't want to tell anyone because then, uh, what's his name, Sor- Saruman, yeah, would like he would be able to see it. He'd see their plan because Pippin's an idiot, basically. Because if he told the Fellowship, they would all know. Uh, oh, we're just gonna use, we're just gonna use the gobl- the Griffins. Oh, uh, well, that's also not having. He- well, okay, so the Eagles, bit of Lord of the Rings history for you. All right. Bloody shit this down instantly. Yeah. A bit of Lord of the Rings history for you. The eagles are not... They're sentient creatures. They can yeah. speak. Yeah. Um, they just don't in the films, because that would be odd. Because of weird. the tone. Yeah. But they can speak, and they have their own culture, and they only help for certain reasons. And so you can't just call upon the eagle. Like, you can only call upon the eagles for certain things. Yeah. And for each wizard, it's different as to what they can use them for. But the reason that Gandalf doesn't call them all the time is that his pact with the eagles is really specific. Yeah. So he couldn't have called them to be like, hey, help me drop the ring off, because they would be like, well, that's not part of what we've organized with how this works. Yeah. With when you are, when you are a wizard, there are certain ways you can use certain creatures, and the eagles have a particular rule set, and they're sentient, they have their own culture. Yeah. Like it. Some people think that it's when Gandalf the Grey falls down the pit, when he says, fly, you fools. Yeah. He's trying to clue them in as to, like, he doesn't want to explicitly say, use the eagles. He wants to try to, like... He says, fly you fools, as in, just fucking fly there. Like, use my plan, like, once you get to the point where it's like, oh, okay. Saruman can't do anything if he knows your plan. Because, like, cause he, like, Gandalf the Grey, like, sort of gets replaced pretty early on. He's in, like, the first movie he falls down, right? Yeah. He dies? Dies. He, he, he falls to the bow. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, he has to, I don't know what point he would be like, we're going to use the eagles now. But he's trying to tell them, like, get to a certain point then use the eagles well they need to get beyond saruman's reach because if you remember yeah. the reason they go into moria is because they're within his reach and he's calling that storm upon them yeah so what he's waiting for is when they're beyond the reach but again he couldn't have done that but i understand where that theory comes yeah. from and the the dumb part of that theory is that when gandalf the white like returns people are just like oh yeah he forgets okay also <laughs> also the problem with that is that they couldn't have called the eagles without gandalf yeah so Whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Fuck you, internet. Yeah, it's stupid. Um, read a wiki. Um, <laughs> so we got we got a little off track with that one, but good good Hobbit chat to answer that question at the start. Yeah. Um, I've got one note that I'm not going to linger on. I just want to speak like a one sentence about. Um, is that myth integration and songs are really powerful in fantasy. Yeah. If you don't use them, at least writing them is good is a good practice because it's a really powerful exercise in forcing you to consider culture and world building in a more literal context. So, yeah. So insofar as even if you're novel, you never include any of the folk songs you've written about that world. It's just a really good habit to get into. Because yeah. one, it's really good practice for your prose. Because the more like poetry or prose is, the better your writing is. Yeah. Um, but two, it's really good practice for culture. So, I mean, a Scottish folk song is, a really, is really different to a Chinese folk song, for yeah. instance. So in your world, if you have that kind of dissonance, it's, a really good, it's really good practice to differentiate different places and people because they'll fall into different umbrellas for different songs and stuff. Just a yeah. good habit to get into. Um, one one thing I guess I'll touch on quickly in terms mm. of game design is that when you... In terms of world building, one extra thing you have to consider is your mechanics mm. of your world. 
you have and it ties in a lot with making sure everything follows a set of rules because you don't want to just have like you know you'll be going through the game fighting most enemies one way and then all of a sudden oh the only way to take out this enemy is to use this because it's special like that's just dumb it sucks it's usually pretty tedious yeah probably the best example of just rock solid just really well done mechanical world building is dark souls because i love it that's um, on my list <laughs> yeah what dark like what dark souls does in terms of its mechanics not even just its world is it goes everyone can die including you yep when anyone dies they drop souls including you and when anyone goes to a bonfire everyone respawns including you so the i because you're told you're sort of in, like it's implied in dark souls that well it's it's said that you're not the only one there obviously through the multiplayer mechanics and the fact that you know there's a lot of clues that basically say you're not the only undead especially in the first game on the pilgrimage so the idea of like everyone respawns when they die not only do enemies respawn when you go to a bonfire but when you die it's implied that the passage of there's an like there's an undetermined amount of time between when you die when you die and when you respawn and that time which they don't show obviously because it would be tedious is the time it takes for someone to go to a bonfire yes and respawn you yes at your bonfire which yes. is your save point yes because there's other there's, other, there's other people ones on the journey yeah and there's other ghosts you mentioned the other day um that you hadn't noticed this before but it's beautiful is in that first uh once you leave you know the bell you ring yeah you like you hear other yeah throughout the you whole hear the bell ringing just throughout, constantly throughout the whole first act you can hear that bell dissonantly and that's chiming. other people yes getting to the which bell is which brilliant. is super because you don't really oh. you're just like oh it's just a bell like whatever it's because it's just thematic there's bells but then you ring the bell yourself and you think that bell it's the same yeah, bell it's other people it's other people yeah. and like the whole idea of everyone dies like literally everyone like and like npc characters npc characters they npcs yeah npc characters yeah, NPCs. redundant yeah. npcs that you would in most other games you would assume are just like invulnerable you can, kill all of them. you can just kill them you can kill in dark souls 2 you can kill the person that levels you up yeah you can out you cannot level up again You're <laughs> like, well good yeah and it's like there's a lot of the characters in dark souls 1 are actually you you're better off killing them even though they are non-player characters yeah and even though they are characters that you can talk to which for most of the time means you you don't kill them because they're useful sometimes it's actually better off killing them yeah and it's it's really interesting how they basically you know before everything again they had these axioms of everyone dies everyone drops yeah. souls because that's just it the souls is just it's the game essentially yeah and everyone and bonfires respawn everyone the the great conceit of dark souls i think that really pushes it over the line is that everyone dies except if you're human and you die you become hollow and that's why the npcs don't respawn yeah um if because you, is, where is your phone i'm getting feedback is that my phone or your phone it's probably my phone then um but yeah so like one of the great conceits of that is that when yeah when when npcs die they hollow so you don't know where they are because they've gone to the because they've gone to their bonfire because they've gone to the well they've gone to the start of the game effectively to start yeah. their journey as undead cursed ones yeah so it's like which this is really... funny because then they become ghosts they yes. become the ghosts that the you see as a hollow or they become yeah other players or other players yeah so there's this kind of really cool yeah, Dark Souls was on my list. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of started good and bad. So Dark Souls was on my list. I've already talked about the King Killer Chronicles and Name of the Wind. We've already talked about Lord of the Rings. Um, 
but Star Trek uh, is really good. So Star Trek Next Generation yeah. in particular. Um, there's really clear rules. Um, if you get shot, you die. If you go into space, you die. Um, there's really defined boundaries of how all the technology works. Uh, yeah. There's a really deep geographical understanding of here is the ship. The ship can go places and this is how the ship works. You don't really need to understand the science of it, but you're like, if you take any part of the ship away, it sometimes stops working and you yeah. can't leave that place. And it's just really clear rules. And it's really easy to understand. Yeah. Even though it's like crazy warp technology, they're like, oh, the fusion core's out of out of steam. <laughs> Fuck, we can't go anywhere. And yeah. you're like, okay, great. The fusion core's out of... You can't go anywhere. And no it's point... And like... you're like... No point you go, well, how does the fusion core work? That never happens. It's not like light speed in Star Wars, which is just... Just go to light speed. Just whatever. Light well, speed light in Star Wars, they generally just waft over as a way to get from place to place. The interesting thing about that, though, is that light speed in that world, some people, it's light speed in the Star Wars universe. Some people, really, really good pilots, can basically thread needles with it. So, like in sort of spoilers, but in The Force Awakens, Han is able to thread the needle with light speed to get under a shield yeah he basically light speeds and super close and to the planet like, someone was like and we won't say what planet or what for but someone else was like well why didn't the other characters in their ships do that and i'm like because they're not good enough because they're not good one of the other characters could poe dameron the other amazing my favorite character he's easily the coolest character. easily the coolest so not excited. my favorite Ray's my favorite he's the coolest though i'm so excited for the next movies just for him hashtag that jacket is though. he gonna be in the rebel the rogue one one yeah no Damn it. So. Um, oh yeah because that's like between that's a three prequel. and four that's a heist film i'm so excited <laughs> it's a heist film <laughs> a heist and you know Star how much Wars i love film. a heist film oh man um you know how much i love a heist film. Yep. but um yeah so none of the other characters are able to do that because they're not good enough pilots yeah and that's they could that do it they just probably wouldn't be able probably to probably wouldn't do it well they die or whatever yeah um so i i also have a list of bad world building that i still love same um, my bad world building i love yeah so mine uh one of them is narnia um <laughs> so the narnia i'm talking Precious. about the books um oh yeah which is okay but my problem with narnia is that rules are erected and then constantly broken yeah. like literally in that world they'll be like here's gauntlet this never happens but like here's a gauntlet that throws a fireball hey but we made it throw ice also <sighs> and then it's like oh, okay good now and then it in the next scene it'll have to get broken because otherwise there's no tension yeah like yeah, my exact note is <laughs> rules are erected but constantly broken and it leads to a lack of tension. We never believe any of the characters are ever really dead or in danger because so many characters come back so many times. Yeah. Um, Borderlands is terrible world building, but I still love it. And it's I know this just, is contentious. Borderlands, I think they gave up. They don't care. Yeah, like, basically. Which is fine because that's part of the world. But like... Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it works for them, but it's still terrible. Yeah. My example is the Layton games. They... Ba- mm-hmm. Like, the story themselves, they sort of... The whole time, you're going through this pretense of, oh, there's a logical explanation for everything. Yep. And by the end of the story, you'll find this logical explanation, but it'll be so grounded in complete bullshit that it's just... It's hard to believe. And they'll throw these curveballs, like, oh, you know, like, time travel can't exist because, you know, that's it's not a thing that exists. Instead, there's just an entire fucking copy of London City underneath London. or And then, ten minutes later, lol jokes, time travel does exist. And you're thinking, then... Yeah, what, like, but I was then, on board with what, the other thing. Like, the other thing was ridiculous, 
but it was like it made sense for the world because that happens a lot in the world but then you say time travel exists and then in later games literally magic and you're like oh but there's a logical explanation they're like yes literal magic it's an ain't yeah they're like yes the logical explanation is that it is magic and you're like okay oh i called and they kind of remedied it with when they went back and did prequel games and they said look there's this ancient civilization called the Azran, and they basically, they're basically like super civilized Aztecs, were in the sense that they had like, they were like sort of primitive, but they had a lot of technology. Yeah. And they they have all these artifacts which do these crazy things, and they're the reason for all of it. And you're like, okay, wish you had started with that. <laughs> okay, so that, that's what I call the Tomb Raider fallacy. The Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider fallacy is something I talk about. I've I've talked about this before. Um. I also delivered a uh, lecture on this once. Um, the Tomb Raider fallacy is the assumption that nothing is magic until it's magic. Yeah. So, yeah. Tomb Raider's great, and I love Tomb Raider. I've just been playing the reboot, which I love. Um, I've, yeah. I've not gotten to the point where there's magic yet, so I haven't... Don't, don't I, call me on that I yet. I don't know if it... Yeah. It's Tomb Raider, there will be bullshit There magic. will be, yeah. If, the Tomb Raider fallacy, without getting too mad about yeah. it, is that nothing is magic until it is required for the story for it to be magic. It's, yeah, it's pretty much the same. So it's like... It's like the the start of the game so far has been this really cool like Lara basically just grappling to some. It's a really distressing game to play. Yeah, like it's very it's grounded in reality. I've been like there are moments where I was like this is hard to play. Like I'm doing stuff that I, it's it's like the similar to that moment in uh, the Walking Dead. We have to stitch up your arm, and it yeah. makes you stitch up your arm. And I'm like and, yeah, and I'm like I don't want to do. There this. are moments like that in Tomb Raider where I'm like I don't want to do that action because it's horrendous. Yeah, similar idea. But then. In all the other Tomb Raider games, you have that, and then at some point, someone's got a magic staff or a fucking ring, <laughs> and the throwing there's like a they could summon a storm or they have a demon or like yeah. whatever, and, and it you're just like, mm, and it's gone. Far Cry does the same thing. Far but, Cry Three, but then it exists for the rest of the games. Yeah, that is true. So that Far Cry Three is the start of them being like, magic. hey, there's this cool tribal magic thing. Yeah, in Far Cry Four, they're like, hey, this is why you can do all this crazy shit is because this thing exists in this world. Yeah. They don't explain it in Far Cry 4, but it's just there. They continue it. Yes. Which is... Which is fine. Which, until there's an explanation, is as good enough as an explanation. Because then it yes. goes, we're still following the rules that we set. Yes. Which is important. And then they kind of elaborate on it in a similar way, but in different contexts. Um, yeah. The other thing I had on my list for bad stuff that I still love, uh, Doctor Who, but exclusively before Season 8, because the latest seasons have been garbage is- trash. Because I, I don't watch much Doctor Who, yeah. but I've always considered that, for like in my opinion, but I don't know whether it's true. The Sonic screw, the Sonic screwdriver is just textbook case, like fixes everything. No, because it has a lot Plot of limitations. It has super limit. It's super limited. Super limited. So here's the thing. Okay, so this I'm talking before all of this is before Peter Capaldi's Doctor, because that's okay. when the show went off the rails. So this is this is just to the end of Matt Smith's run. Yeah. So the Sonic screwdriver. Um, is this amazing wonder tool that can unlock stuff and it's like it's kind of like a it's a it's a multi-tool that you point at stuff if you never watch Doctor Who you point at stuff you push a button and it goes it works, wee, 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 it works. <laughs> it, it, it's telepathy so like if, if you think lock that door it'll lock the door yeah but it doesn't work on wood alright <laughs> which you're like oh well, that's a dumb limitation but a lot of doors in the world of wood yeah <laughs> so there's, there's there's this great moment in uh, the one with the those things in the shadows where um he, they're, they're running through a hallway to escape, like, the lights are turning off behind them. It's this amazing, it's a fantastically filmed sequence where they're bolting down this hallway, and the lights are turning off behind them. Yeah. 
And they're like, why the fuck are we running from the darkness? This is insane. And they're just bolting down this hallway. And they get to the end. They're like trying to open it. Um, and Don is like, use your fucking Sonic on the door. He's like, I can't, it's wood. He's like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. And he's like, and up until that point, yeah. you like assumed it'll be fine. Yeah. And then it's like, I can't, he's it's like, wood. You're like, she's like, what? what? You mean it's wood? He's like, what well, doesn't work on wood? She's like, it doesn't work on wood? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, well, it just, it's just what? And she just goes, move and she kicks the door open. Yeah. Whatever. But that moment, I was like, oh yeah, cool. Doesn't work on wood. Yeah, you're like, good. And then there are and moments later on. you would probably on. be able to go back to every use of the song oh, every screwdriver. Time. Doesn't, doesn't work, work on wood. wood. And there's a great moment later on in a Christmas special where he's um he's on the snow planet. Uh, it was actually, a, it was a riff on The Lion Witch in the Wardrobe where he was he was helping someone house sit. The Doctor was helping this family house sit. Um, and there was like a portal to a snow world in their wardrobe. Oh so god, good. it was so good. no, it was fair. It just riffed on yeah, like hard, like really hard online. Like it was just a base, basically a piss take. But there's a sequence in that where he um, he's like, what is this thing that's that's hurting these people? Like what's going on? And he goes into this room and he's got a Sonic out. And there's aliens who are made of wood. And he looks at the Sonic and he goes, this was going to happen one day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, good. Like, that, yeah. that, that conceit never goes away. Yeah. It always works. It, it's never going to work on wood. Yeah. And it's the great limitation of the device. Until season eight, when he ditches the Sonic screwdriver and Peter Capaldi gets Sonic sunglasses. What? Why? Sonic song? Because he's a goofy, the funny... Sonic screwdriver He's is... a goofy, funny rock and roller because he's old and it's fun. Fuck. But it's the Sonic screwdriver. No, it's Sonic glasses. No, fuck that. It, mm, look. That's actually devastating for the entire series. Look, he got them back at the end of this season that just ended, season nine. He got the screwdriver, screwdriver, but it looks dumb. He got a new one. I mean, they all look dumb. Basically, the premise is that each Doctor has their own unique one. Yeah. Eccleston and Tennant share the same one, but only because Eccleston is technically a continuation of... John Hams, not John Ham. Um, who's the guy that played the War Doctor? He was the voice of a dragon at some point. I can't remember. John Hurt. Is he the bald one? No, he's the old guy. He's he's oh, yeah. uh he's like he's like retconned in in between the reboot. Sorry, in between the end of the old series and the reboot, he's like retconned in as a regeneration that happened in the middle. Okay. Really, really cool storyline that was done fantastically, l- like later on. But um. Yeah, so his his doctor, the bald guy, and David Tennant all share the same sonic screwdriver. Yeah, but it makes sense. Oh no, sorry, the just just the bald guy and David Tennant they share the same screwdriver. Yeah, but it makes sense in the context of the story that he wouldn't change it because he's dating. He's still in love with Rose. Yeah, so he's got really no reason to change anything because it's like, like he's not moving into a new phase of his life. He's just a, got a different face. Yeah. Whereas with Matt Smith's doctor. He's lost all of his companions, and he's starting fresh again, and he's got a whole new TARDIS interior, and he's got a new Sonic screwdriver, yeah. whatever it is. And then Capaldi, kind of like, the transition was really dumb, and his Doctor is really dumb, and he's written dumbly, and it's a dumb story, and he does dumb stuff, <laughs> yeah. and there's so much dumb. And he gets these stupid Sonic sunglasses, because it's his character. No, people know. Oh, okay. Look, I, there, are, there are good ideas, and there are great concepts that Moffat has. He just cannot write a script to save his life. You don't replace the screwdriver. He gets it back, so it's fine. But there's this run of a series where it just you, is stupid. Like, there's nothing wrong with adding more things to the Doctor. Like, the whole, like, bow ties are cool thing was, like, that's fine. Because yeah. you're not removing... You're not removing or changing anything. You're just adding more. But it's, like, you can't change something well, like the Sonic like it made... It's, like, if, like, Daleks were good. It's, like, There have no. been good Daleks. 
That's but it was well, like like I understand the I understand where Moffat was coming from with the idea because in that period of the run of the show, the Doctor was not really helping people. He was just kind of looking out for himself. Yeah, and so he wasn't really like doctoring. He was just kind of doing his own thing. Yeah, which is fine. Because it was, <laughs> but like it was too on the nose symbolic. Yeah, he was like, "I'm not the doctor because I don't have my screwdriver. I got my cool sunglasses because I'm a it's rebel." So obnoxious. And then at the end, he's like, "Jokes, I'm not a rebel anymore because I got all my best friends killed. I've got the uh, the screwdriver again. Uh, Good, I'm a doctor again." He just What's... wanted to ride in the scene of him taking off the sunnies and picking up the sonic screwdriver yep. and everyone going. Finally, <laughs> actually, the moment where he gets the screwdriver is actually annoyingly would, cool yeah it would be like it's it's such a good payoff but it's not worth the other shit yeah he basically he like walks into the TARDIS or whatever it's like, like if it's like if they didn't show us like Ray using this the lightsaber in episode 7 oh. like the payoff would be oh. amazing but it wouldn't be worth a whole video a whole movie of not having it happen yes yeah like the moment is great because he he I can't think of exactly how he gets back into the TARDIS, but he's not had it for a while. Yeah. And he walks in, he clicks his fingers, and the door snaps shut, and the TARDIS blings, and shoots out the screwdriver, and he catches it, and he blings the thing, and the wooshy-wush goes, and he time travels. <laughs> it's like, yeah, good, but also, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you for making us Whereas, wait. like, Matt Smith, the way that he gets his screwdriver, in his first episode, um, the TARDIS is, like, he, so he, re- he regenerates and in the like TARDIS. he's, like, crashing. Yeah, and he crashes the TARDIS, and the yeah. TARDIS is regenerating, and he's regenerating. Because he's basically, like, blown up the inside of the TARDIS, more or less. So mm. it's, like, cooking the whole yeah. episode. And at the end, he solves, he saves the day. That's a great episode, actually. He saves the day, and he's like, ooh, it's finished cooking. And he hurries back, and he opens the door. He throws opens the doors, and it's this beautiful new interior. And he walks up to the console, and the TARDIS bling-blongs. And it, like, there's, like, a new screwdriver in the console. And he pulls it out, and he goes, boop, yeah. And that's it. And you're like, yeah. cool, he's got a new screwdriver. You're like, good. Good. Um, but, more merchandise. Yeah. It's great. It's my favorite one so far. Um, but yeah, like that. I don't even know where I was going with that. I'm just so pissed off about the new season. <laughs> I had to rant. <laughs> it was unrelated. But yeah. Um, I don't feel like we've rambled for long enough. Look, here's what it is. World building is about rules um, and limitations. Yeah. Uh, don't break them. And if you have to break them, only break them to create conflict, not solve conflict. Yeah, just, that is that is a good, just the rule. Just don't break amazing, rules to solve conflict. That's a really pithy way of putting. It. I never thought of that. But that yeah. is such a such. It's so core to making your world function. Yeah, like if and making it interesting because if it's like the it's just typical of just like oh if he breaks the rule to solve this why can't because you like as a like as someone who consumes content you want to solve conflicts like that's what yes. you want. But if, and if at one point in time, a conflict was solved by breaking of a rule, you as like, you go, oh, that's shitty. Can we do it again? Because it was Unless easy. Unless, the only time it works is if that breaking of that rule to solve a conflict creates a bigger one. Yes. So there's a great example where, uh, in, I can't think of what the novel is, um, but one of the characters, someone's like, do not paint these magical symbols on yourself, like, it will like just you can't like don't do it it'll fuck you up you'll basically lose your humanity and he's like no I'll, like fuck like i like f- i need to 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 not die in this situation yeah. um he's I've, it's a world where demons come out at night and he's got nowhere to go and he's got no way to ward like he's got no way to draw symbols on the ground yeah all he can do is he's got a he's got like a i think he's got a tattoo like he's got so he draws them on himself to yeah. make himself immune to these demons and he covers himself in these tattoos 
and the rest of the conflict of the the entire books after that is the fact that he's slowly losing his humanity. Yeah. And he's making worse and worse decisions and he's like that's that becomes a really key premise of conflict. But if he'd done it and it was fine, it would be like, Well fuck you. Yeah, it'd like, be like, Well, why don't we always do that? Why doesn't yeah. everyone have them on them? Yeah. And then you and then but it's like, why doesn't everyone have them on them? Oh, because it makes you insane and not human anymore. Yeah. Simple, done, good. And then later on you find out that's actually how you become a demon. And then it's like this weird kind of you start to realize that this breaking of the rule was actually the launching off point for the entire series and yeah. it works in that way but if like you can't have the alternate where it's just fine yeah um which is what the latest seasons of doctor who have been doing a lot where like a great example i'm gonna hop on for a minute here about yeah. doctor who because i'm so mad and then we'll wrap up um there's a there's a uh, a moment where um you can get, if you don't sleep, so in the future, in some version of the future, they've invented a, a pod where you go in for 20 minutes and you get a full night of sleep. Yeah. So you can do whatever it is you want to do in the rest of the day. Yeah. Great idea. Cool. What ends up happening is, uh, if you do that for long enough, um, you know the stuff you get in the corner of your eye? Yeah. Also, cool idea. Executed terribly. The stuff you get in the corner of your eye, um, the machine just kind of just put like stores it because it happens a lot. It stores it because it's just one of its functions is to get yeah. rid of that grit. Um, but that eventually becomes sentient with, like, your nightmares. <laughs> yeah, it's so Moffat. Like, it's so Moffat. That's hilarious. Yeah. So there's a cool way to do that, and there's uh, a not cool way. He did it in a not cool way. But basically, oh, what happens is, if you use... So your, your eye gunk becomes... becomes... a demon. <laughs> yeah. So That's the way it stupid. works is that if you've used this machine, your eye gunk can become sentient, right? Sure. And it will come and kill you. That's the premise. Sure. Sure. Right? <laughs> okay. So, Clara, his companion, the Doctor's companion, who also, by the way, great character arc, terribly executed, amazing death that they ruined. Um, oh, so mad. But what they did is they, like, she used the machine, and she was like, and he's like, shit, like, I can't fix that. Like, yeah. I actually can't fix that. And you're like, oh, fuck. Like, that's there forever. He's yeah. like, I have no way of fixing it. It's just part of... If you, like, that's just it. Like, if you don't sleep for two... Like, if you don't get enough sleep, then this is going to happen and you're going to get fucked. Yeah. It's never dealt with again. They just get in the TARDIS and fuck off. Yeah. And it's like, no, that should have been a thing. And then what's dumb is then the next ep- the next few episodes, something actually happens to her that's irreversible, that does kill her. But for some reason, the eye thing is never a worry again. Yeah. Like, it just... What? <laughs> I'm st- like, it just... I- they just forget about it. Yeah, he was like, well, it's fine, because then this other thing that's more important is going to happen that's going to kill uh, us or whatever. Yeah. Don't have a thing that nearly kills her in the first place. <sighs> and then they ruin her death. So she has this great scene where, basically, she's doomed. She's going to die. There's no way out of it. Yeah. She's been marked. She's going to die. And she dies. That's yeah. the end of the episode. Right. Doctor gets sent to this hell prison. That's the end of the episode. It's the Empire Strikes Back of that season. Yeah. Everyone is fucked. She's dead. He's in this hell prison. <sighs> They have an episode of him in the hell prison. The episode afterwards is him basically trying to stop her from dying, and he stops her from dying and makes her immortal. Hooray. And she also gets her own TARDIS. Okay, that's dumb. That's the, uh... She's, like, the female Doctor, right? Uh... Or that I, she confuses She me. is now, yeah. I guess, because she's immortal and she has a TARDIS. Actually, no! She's immortal, and she has a TARDIS, and she's with another immortal. They've just broken the world, and I'm so mad I can't even breathe, <laughs> and I'm just going to stop talking about it. Yeah. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we finish on world building? That's about it. We talked about everything there is to talk about. Pretty much. Um, so I'm just mad now. Um, I'm just going to go and be salty. Cook dinner, like, real salty. Yeah. Like, just flipping the pan, salt. real salt. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, okay, uh, where can people find us? DCM underscore works on Twitter. Yep. Uh, DCM dot works on YouTube. And on the internet, and it's the internet. URL. Uh, podcast and podcast at dcm.works. Yeah. Uh, patreon.com slash, it's on the show notes, patreon.com slash dcmworks. Check out our Breadbubble store, get some t-shirts in ya, or on ya. <laughs> just munch on the t-shirt. Just have a snack. If. Um, yeah, and that's... Tasty uh, cotton. Good. Um, oh, something else, something else, something else. Oh, yeah. Um, it's gone from my head. Never mind. Um, oh, I was going to say, I did a thing at the end of the previous episode that went up today... Spoiler, Ben's going to New Zealand for a week, so we're doing this now. Um, no, not New Zealand. Oh, Sunny I just, Coast. I just assumed. Yeah, but it's fine. Um, Ben's gone away for a week, so we're recording this a week in advance. Um, yeah. But at the end of episode 22 that went up today, I put like a little post thing, basically saying thanks for a good year. But to not to repeat ourselves, but yeah, it's been a good year so far. That is. It's a good, another one. Um, so good. Um, and that'll do it. 2016, boys. Um, uh, uh, Happy New Year. Yeah. For a, well, well this will be, be a week. This will be a week later. Belated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I hope you've had a good week of a year so far. Yeah. Um, and I hope that the content and media that you love this year that comes out isn't garbage. Yeah, that's... And that's really all we can hope for. Yeah, that's all we can hope and for. And we hope that Rogue One is awesome. That's good. It probably will be. Probably will be. Yeah. The visuals are very, like, well done. And, like, the gameplay is <laughs> super fun. And, like, because those three things are there, it's, like, it's exceptionally good. Hey, I could do it in a heartbeat and make millions, but it would feel like gouging my soul out. Yeah. Jurassic Park's a little more like DDR. If Shrek is a fairy tale creature, can he actually own land and want to kick them off? Where did that come from? You have to make a lot of shit up to make good art. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, that's just the truth. Like, 